Hey everyone, this is Josh from Solopreneur Grind for episode 78 of the SG Podcast. I am joined by Jim McCarthy, co-founder and CEO of goldstar.com, as well as co-founder and CEO of Stellar as well. Jim, thanks so much for coming on the show today. My pleasure, Josh. Awesome. Really excited, Jim, to hear about multiple experiences that you've had, the multiple businesses and the businesses that you're running right now, especially how they're being affected by COVID will be really interesting. But for those who don't know about you, can you give us a brief intro, who you are, what you're working on, and then we'll get into the backstory. Well, I'm I'm the CEO uh, and one of the founders of Goldstar, which many people know we sell. Uh, we have a lot of customers around the country selling tickets to live entertainment normally, obviously music and theater and stuff like that. And we've been doing that for 18 years. Um, and now we're doing Stellar, which we'll talk about later. But I've got um, about 25 years experience in high growth companies and entrepreneurial situations. Um, and I've, you know, for, for years supported entrepreneurs with, with different meetups and things like that as well. Uh, involved in a bunch of stuff. So, you know, I've, I've been through the the bootstrap process. I've raised money. I've done, you know, I've been in companies that were acquired. So I've, I've kind of been through a lot of the cycles that, that people go through. So hopefully my experience in that will be valuable to people. Awesome. That's great because it piques my interest in many ways. So it usually makes the question, question asking a little bit easy, easier. But Jim, all of that experience, all the different types of experiences, where did your entrepreneurial journey really start, would you say? It's interesting because I didn't start a company until I was about 30. Um, and the, and the, the first company that I started was Gold Star. But I think that the groundwork for my entrepreneurial career came from being in high growth businesses where you really see the dynamics of what it takes to build an organization. And so that that started earlier. The, the first um, job that I had in a high growth company was at uh, company that some some may may know that's still around today but it was very popular in the 90s Noah's bagels in the I, I don't know where, uh, where your listeners mostly are but in the, if you were on the west coast in the 90s Noah's bagels was the coolest place to be people used to line up you know for hours outside the San Francisco stores and that, and that kind of thing and uh, so you know between that and then I made a switch from there into the internet in 1997 and and what were your roles in those companies yeah, my, my role in uh, in Noah's was very cool because there was so much to do and there was such a small team uh, when in the expansion, in the group that came to Los Angeles to expand the company, that I got to do everything at a, at a very young age. I got involved in like every aspect of opening all the stores. And the crazy thing is we went from 13 stores to 135, I think, in about two years. Jeez. So it's one thing to open 120 stores or whatever. It's another when you start with 13, right? So right. you're not exactly, you know, you're, you're making like 10 trees. Normally you take one little branch of a tree and then you go, no, this is like, you got to make 10 trees out of your tree. But that was great. I mean, it was really great. And I think, you know, I think it's an irreplaceable experience to be in a, a high growth situation because it's like the dog years learning thing, you know, and people need, if you have the opportunity to do that, you should put yourself in that, in that position, even if it's a little crazy because the learning is fast and furious. Absolutely. I mean, I, I could only imagine, especially the wearing of so many hats, right? It's almost yeah. like, like an MBA on steroids, let's call it. Uh, so then you move to the next company and then what was that experience like? And then what ultimately led to the founding of, of Goldstar? Yeah. So the next company was GeoCities. Okay. So 
uh, some, 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 a lot of people in your audience will remember GeoCities too. It was sort of the Facebook of the '90s, right? It was, it was really, literally, uh, possibly the first social network on the internet. Uh, but it was definitely the first place where you could get a free homepage, free personal homepage. And so we had, I think it was something like, I don't know, tens of thousands of people every day who would open up a new account, start a new homepage, um, to the point where in, in 1998, 10 or 12%, they threw different numbers around, but something like 10% of the World Wide Web was GeoCities. <laughs> Jeez. All these websites that were built, right? Like it was just pretty ridiculous. Um, and that was another scenario where the, the growth was absurd and there really wasn't any precedent for, for anything we were doing. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, the, you know, the, my role there was I, you know, I was in the middle of my, of my MBA when I, when I made that move, actually, my role there was they threw me at e-commerce. Um, because people were like, well, you don't know what, you know, we don't really understand this yet. We got an idea about it. Go, you know, you're smart. Go, go figure this out. Right. And so I'll tell you, one of the luckiest breaks I got was like our partnership with Amazon was my main responsibility. Wow. So every day I was talking to the people at Amazon, um, about this partnership that they were spending a lot of money, you know, for and um and expected to get a lot in return for and it was kind of like a blueprint for how e-commerce was done at a time when there wasn't a blueprint yet but they were they were creating a blueprint you know right so so, so how did you how did you navigate all of that jim and by all of that i mean both those experiences right where you're you're essentially a kid right you're in your yeah. early to mid 20s yeah. you're thrown first into this company that's growing like crazy in more in terms of food and retail then in terms of the internet, which I'm assuming both of those were brand new to you, and you're also thrown into e-commerce, which didn't even really exist, right? So there's not much to lean on. How did you navigate all that? It's funny because I had gotten interested in e-commerce, so I read everything I could read um, before and during my move into the internet space. So I was going around talking to people um, here in Los Angeles saying, I want to, I want to get into e-commerce. And so people were like, well, you know, we, we think we're going to get into that next year or something like that. And it just so happened that my, the, the reading and studying and interest that I developed just happened to coincide with a major need at, mm -hmm. uh, at GeoCities. And so I, I actually think that's, that's actually worth thinking about too, for people, right? Like the magnetism of, I'm really interested in it. I really want to do it. If somebody actually needs somebody to do it, well, if it's a new thing, who better than you to, right. to take it on, right? Like it's, it, you know, if somebody, if nobody really knows about it, then, then, hey, you know, so, somebody who's interested and studied up, you can study in that situation, you can study very little and be an expert. <laughs> right. Because there's not much, you know, there's not much information out there at the time. So that, that, yeah, so that was fun. I mean, to me, it was just, it was all upside, right? At that, at that point, you didn't have to worry about For falling sure. on your butt because nobody knew what to do. So, absolutely. So then, take us to the next step. So, so you're working at GeoCities, crazy yeah. growth, yeah. Uh, new area for most people uh, in the world. Yep. And what, what bridges the gap between there and Gold Star? Well, e-commerce for one thing. Um, you know, so the thing that I, that I learned in my one of my founding, my one of my co-founders, who's the CTO to this day, was at GeoCities as well. And we sort of formed our partnership there 
because it was essentially, you know, we'd be faced with some kind of business problem in in the e-commerce area. I'd typically dream, dream up, you know, two thirds of the solution. Um, and then he would make it real and finish the solution. You know? mm-hmm. um, and so that worked really well. Like we that, that was actually a really good so hand in glove partnership. And we became friends and eventually, but you know, eventually started Gold Star. Um, but actually there was one stop in between, which was very interesting, which was a company called Kiko, short-lived uh, company that was founded in 1999. We were first day employees. So, so we were founding employees, but we weren't the founders. Um, and we, it was, you know, Josh, you're probably too young to remember what 1999 was really like. <laughs> in the business environment. I hope the day comes when, when, you know, there's another time like it, cause it was crazy and fun. Uh, and by that, I mean like money was flying like everywhere. So you just had to reach up and, you know, grab some, mm-hmm. we, we started this company with, they were, I think there were 10 or 12 of us and we raised, uh, we raised $10 million on a $40 million valuation in three months <laughs> with basically, and, just, and there was nothing built, nothing built, just a deck, you know, we had a deck. <laughs> Um, but it was a good, it was a good idea. It was a great idea. And, and the people in the company, um, were credible, right? All of us had, had backgrounds that made it seem like, you know, there's a real good chance that, that we were going to do something. And we tried It just, you know, it just things, things changed. And, uh, um, in many ways, the, um, the, the, the experience of that was a blueprint for gold star in that we just said, don't like, like whatever we did, you could, you know, don't yeah. do, this. do the uh, opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't do that. Um, and, and you'll be better off. I mean, you know, things like we had a hundred employees, I think in about six months. Jeez. I mean, listen, sometimes those lessons can be more valuable than learning what to do, right? Is, is, oh, yeah. is learning what not to do. So did that company come to an end and then you and your co-founder said, okay, let's start gold star. Was it already in the works? Uh, did you see yeah. the sinking ship? You know, actually, it was a third co-founder who worked there, and we were driving from Pasadena to Long Beach to, to this company. To, we were commuting together. Mm. So we had these conversations, which I think a lot of people have, where it's like, one day, man, we're going to do it our way, you know? And, and really, it was, it was like that. And I'm like, what kind of thing would it be? Well, we definitely wouldn't hire all these people. You know, we had all these, you know, big reactions to the <laughs> to the way things were, were being done. And... Um, and and it just so happened that that day came relatively relatively soon. So that that company started to, you know, in in March of two thousand, um, there was some somebody rang a bell somewhere. I don't know what happened. Somebody rang a bell, and the whole bubble was was over. Like it was mm-hmm. <laughs> nothing specifically happened. It just kind of like everyone was like, oh, this is stupid. Let's stop. You know, <laughs> it's like oh, the party's over. Um, and so you know, the, the environment was much more challenging after that for for that company and. Um, a couple of what would be called pivots today, but we're really just sort of in the end, just kind of thrashing around looking for, for a, a way forward. Um, and then we, we, we all just kind of gradually over the course of 2001, really just decided like each of us is going to leave in our, in our own time. And we started business planning um, Gold Star. And, and how did that plan come about was this something you know a specific problem that wanted you'd face yeah. or had you been discussing it the three of you yeah it was it was an idea that um um that one of us had worked on robert 
Graf, the CTO, had worked on a similar thing uh, as a consultant for somebody, and they were they were it was it wasn't exactly the same thing, but it was kind of like half the same thing. And what they had tapped into was the idea that there was this mismatch between all those empty seats and all those people who want to go out. Right. That that's that's the live entertainment problem, which is you know everybody wants to go out more, uh, and every every show wants more people in it mostly. You know, mm -hmm. so um, that seemed like a really compelling thing. And so we just started talking about what it would really take to close that gap. So the, the idea was germinated from a, a little consulting project that Robert was doing with somebody. And then it was like, well, is there a way to actually do that that makes more sense? Right. Um, and so, and to be honest, like it, it's not the kind of thing where like we were always so passionate about live entertainment or something. It didn't start there. You know what I mean? Like we are now, right? I mean, like the the whole point of our product is to help people really explore explore the the love of music and theater and comedy and stuff like that. But we came to it more from the point of view of like, do you think we could? I think we could do this. Mm -hmm. Like I really, I think that was part of it. It's like we have the skills to do this, right? We've got the e-commerce chops. We've got the business development chops. We can we can do this. We don't have to go raise any money or get anybody's permission. We can just start. Right. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, that, I think that's part of it. And, and, and believe me, I think as an entrepreneur, that's a good reason to start a business. Absolutely. So, so what would you say in terms of, we'll call it like the scale or, or the kind of line between focusing on like a big, big problem, you know, you guys saw this problem, you, you thought there was a big opportunity versus something that you're very passionate about, right? You hear that word thrown around a lot, passion, you should be passionate about what you're going to build, et cetera, et cetera. In this yeah. case, it, it sounds like none of you were overly passionate about it, but if, if it's a big problem and or opportunity, that can largely overcome passion. What, what are your thoughts on that kind of debate? Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a really, really important topic. And I think that some bad advice has been given on this, uh, you know, and, and some decent advice that needs to be really understood in a nuanced way has been given on this. But what doesn't work, and I can say this, I think, with a lot of confidence, or, or what's unlikely to work, is I just love, you know, Middle Eastern food so much that I'm going to go do this, this Middle Eastern food. I mean, it, it might work, but it, it's really, it, it's, it's not about just that fuel of enthusiasm that just means that you'll never stop going until you succeed I because it you know starting a business and then bringing it to a successful point is is a in some ways a very mechanistic process you know it's it's you it's in the title of your podcast it's a grind and, and it doesn't mean that the grind is not enjoyable it just mm -hmm. means it's kind of like we used to say especially in the early days we used to say turn the crank like we we gotta we gotta turn the crank mm -hmm. and the crank is what are the things that produce results for you that you can repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat? And sometimes people, you know, that doesn't necessarily lend itself to someone who's just super passionate, right? It's just a discipline. It's, you kind of have to care about it. You have to like it. But on the other hand, you have to be able to just plow through. Absolutely. So, yeah, it, it, you, it's kind of a fine balance, right? Between being passionate enough or being yeah. interested even just enough and yeah. actually solving a problem. So you guys had some examples of, of how not to start a business and you, you get this idea, you see this opportunity. So 
I, I guess after that other company came to an end, did you all go in full steam? How, you know, how did Gold Star come to be? Yeah, actually, this is another great story. I think in terms of its applicability to many people, which is that, you know, we started the business with a thousand dollars and our own labor and some of our friends who were willing to, to help because we had internet friends. We had internet, a lot of friends who were internet professionals, which was fairly rare at that, at that time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we knew that we weren't going to be able to, and this was by the way, after nine 11, so that the, the dot-com boom had turned into the dot-com bust. The capital environment was terrible. The economy was terrible. We had no idea, you know, how much worse it could be, but it seemed bad at the time. Um, and, um, you know, so we knew there was no way that there was going to be somebody paying a salary to us like that. That wasn't, you know, it wasn't one of those kind of stories. It was a, mm -hmm. we, whatever we make, that's, that's what we get, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? So we actually, um, we actually did a whole bunch of consulting to companies to get their web presences built. You know, we, we'd do different things. We'd come strategize a, a website or, or something like that and help people build it out. So that, you know, Robert and I in particular paid our bills with that for hmm. about a year or a year and a half while we were building Gold Star. And we were building, we were building Gold Star full time. We were just doing this other stuff too. Right, so, so almost like a dev shop on the side type thing. Yeah, it's totally what it was. Right. Yeah. And so how many were how many of there were you? Well, there were the two of us, but then we could call upon friends that we knew with the design and development skills to, to actually build something. So they were just contractors to us, you know. Right. Um, and so it was kind of me and and Robert talking to people and convincing them we could help them develop their strategy, build their website, build the whatever thing they were thinking of. Um, and then we would go, cool, let's get a team. And then we'd, we'd put the team on it. And it was, uh, it was a lot of work, you know, and it, and it was, and I don't know, I mean, I always feel like you, you kind of got to be willing to work, uh, unless you're lucky enough to not need a salary or you're lucky enough to have some money or you're lucky enough to get some funding that starts paying you something. I think, you know, for, especially for a, a solopreneur, which I, I know is the focus of your, of your podcast, you know, you, you, you gotta, I think you gotta be willing to put in a year or two where you're doing kind of doing two jobs where you're kind of fully engaged on, on two things, because then you can, you don't have to take such a, a dangerous leap, you know? Yeah. I mean, I mean, the fact of the matter is you have to pay your bill somehow, right? So if, yeah. if you can't raise money or if you're in, your startup has that slow growth beginning, I mean, the last guest we had, Roman, he started his own uh, legal tech company a couple of years ago, and he's been working as a freelance writer the whole time, even to this day, has not raised capital yet and, yeah. uh, and, and does that to pay the bill. So that's becoming more and more commonly, I think, maybe as well, a... Uh, uh, a perfectly good way forward, maybe even a better way forward, right? You don't have to answer to investors. You you keep the, the you keep the pie to yourself. So, what was it at that one one and a half year mark that made you uh, be able to stop? I guess doing that consulting work. We were just selling enough tickets. You know, we were selling enough tickets that we said, look, you know, the the purpose of this business in part is to pay our salaries. Mm -hmm. You know. So we started saying, okay, let's pay ourselves some, and we, you know, we just gradually increase our salaries based on the, on the, on how many tickets we were selling, how much money we were bringing in. That that must have been a really cool 
day or, or week for you guys to, to make that shift? It was the best. I mean, l- literally the moment when the business that you created replaces the salary that you were making before is the day that you're kind of liberated from a lot of the worst things in life, right? Yeah. And, and also you unlock all of that extra time that you can then, you know, yeah. I'm assuming in your case, you probably put most of it into the primary business yes. as opposed to, you know, go and having more picnics and stuff on the weekend. Um, so what would you say, Jim, are maybe two or three key pieces of advice or lessons that you learned on the bootstrap method? Let's say other than the consulting and, and kind of like figuring out how to pay yourself. How did you and your co-founder ultimately spend your time in that first year and, and get the app off the ground or, or web app, you know, website yeah. off the ground? I, I think that um, one thing is that we we worked really hard to build a lot of partnerships in the live entertainment business, like lots, of them, lots and lots. So and that was just a ton of, you know, phone calls and emails and follow ups and relationship building and friendship building and visiting people and, and that kind of thing. Right. Where you. I, looking back, all, all we were really trying to do was was get tickets to be able to sell them. Because the way our business works is, you know, if a venue wants to sell tickets through Gold Star, they 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 say, hey, here's some tickets, sell them, right? Like it's it's a uh, consignment based system. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the the motivation was pretty clear because we didn't have anything to sell, we couldn't make any money. Um, but what we were really doing, I guess, indirectly or directly without thinking about it that way was we were building a network, a really powerful network in, in the industry that we were in at, at very high speed because we were trying every day like crazy to get connected to the organizations that, you know, that we needed uh, in order to be able to do our business. So that, that whole idea of like really building those relationships as fast as you can, not, not just, going for numbers or whatever, but genuinely, you know, building a relationship of value. I got to say, I mean, I, I don't know how, I mean, and I think it could vary what, what relationships are important depending on the business you're in, but that, that I feel like is something people should do. People should really focus on making sure that the people they need to, to be connected to, they're spending a lot of time on that. Uh, um, maybe, maybe a little underestimated. Got it. Um, the, I, I would say the other thing is, you know, when you're when you're a new business, there's probably two or three things that in terms of outcomes that you have to get right because you're trying to get escape velocity. And I mean, what we did from the start, we had an online, you know, admin area that we called it, which was just like how many people signed up today? How many people and how many tickets did we sell? What were the tickets that we sold? So just the two or three really, really important things that you got to drive. You, you have to really focus like an insane person on those. I mean, we did get a little crazy, you know? I mean, like it was like, you know, but mm-hmm. so, but, th- but we knew those were the things, right? If somebody signed up, we knew that X percentage of those people were gonna buy tickets from us at some interval, you know, down the line. And then we measure like, I mean, we used to, we used to have like celebrations for the first time we sold a hundred tickets in a day. The first time we sold 200 tickets in a day. The first, I remember the first time we sold a thousand tickets in a day, it was like, mm-hmm blew our minds right like it was just like unbelievable we sold a thousand tickets today which still if you think about it going from absolutely nothing to that that's a that's a lot of tickets right like number yeah it's a big number number. right you're like that's a thousand people who bought from us today um 
And so as those numbers went up, you know, it, it took years before I wasn't just completely obsessed every single day with how many tickets, we, you know, how many tickets mm -hmm. did we sell. Um, and, and to some degree, you know, we still are normally we, we still are. So I think it's like you, you, you can't, you can't, um, you can't set aside the metrics that tell you exactly that tell you the important things about you. You have to really focus on two or three things that are going to make a difference to get you to that point where you're liberated from having to do other things. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a great piece of advice because it's so easy to get sidetracked, whether you're an entrepreneur, solopreneur, tech business, service business. I mean, there's a million things going on, right? So it's, so it's to stay focused on, you know, whether they call them KPIs, the North Star, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, super important. So and don't you think, I mean, and, and I would just add, people shouldn't be shy about the fact that the main one is money. Because, mm -hmm. because especially for a solopreneur or somebody starting something off, you know, it's not tacky or tasteless to spend a lot of time making sure you're bringing in the money that you need to do what you need to do. Like, yes, there are things that you do as a precursor to money and, and not everything is about money. But if you don't get, you know, escape velocity on, on revenue um, in a new business, it's not, you know, it. It, it doesn't bode well, right? Like you really need people, whoever it is, however your business works, you need people saying, this is worth my money in one form or another. And that's mm -hmm. how you know you're on the right track, right? I mean, like that in, in a way, it's like, that's how you know you're on the right track For somewhere sure. in that equation. So don't be people, I think sometimes are a little bit like it's a little, you know, gauche or whatever to, to obsess about money because we're doing the things that are going to build long-term value. And, and that, that, that can definitely be true, but if you're a, especially if you're a solopreneur trying to liberate yourself from your, your full-time job, it's perfectly fine to focus a lot on how much money you're bringing in. Totally agree. <clears throat> and, and Jim, what would you say is a big difference between those starting a tech company and those not starting a tech company, right? You, you, you had experience kind of down the, the development route, um, the professional services, we'll call it route and the tech route. What are some of the big differences there and or maybe how should a solopreneur change his or her approach based on which path they go down? So are you talking about people who are are starting businesses that don't really have a big technical component to them or? Is yeah, that yeah. Like like that kind of high, high growth potential might not be there, you know, a, yeah. a, co a coach, a consultant, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, that, that's, something that's like that. That's a great point. That's a really great point. Um, and you know what? What's interesting is I, I think um, the 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 line bl has blurred between those two things a lot in the last ten years for me. Um, and I talk to people who, for example, are coaches or you know, various kinds of coaches. Um, and one of the things, like, there's two things to think about. One, if you're selling your time, it's a, it can only be arithmetic growth, and it actually has a cap, right? Like, you, you know, you you can you can increase your rate and whatever, but you run out of time. Um, the, the answer to that actually is a semi-technical answer, which is you turn your whole operation into a semi-automated marketing machine that leverage your intellectual property better, right? Like the, so, so when you get into that, when you're a coach that's um, doing a podcast that has advertisers or you're doing uh, classes wherein all of a sudden 12 people at a time are paying you or you certify people who can teach your method and you take 
some percentage of, of what they do and therefore it's leveraged, right? So in, in that sense, it may not be exponential growth potential the way it is if you've got something that just can scale globally. But if you have a semi-technical, uh, uh, semi-automated marketing machine and you can do more than just sell your time, you can leverage your time, those lines blur. But of course, right. the foundation of that, if you're somebody like you're describing, is that you're good enough for someone to pay you for your time to begin with, right? Mm -hmm. It could be a second stage, you know? Yeah. Um, you, you know, the first stage has to be successful and you have to actually have a practice to build it on, right. I think, you know, I think. Um, but then the work that goes into being more than just a guy hanging out a shingle or, or a gal hanging out a shingle and selling your time, however successfully, is another transformation into into something broader, you know? For sure. I mean, the, the prevalence of online courses, uh, e-books, stuff like that are, are just a few other ways to, to take advantage of that as well. Re really good points. So, Jim, take us back to you guys. You know, you hit the year, year and a half mark. You start taking the salary. Things are going really well. I'm, you know, I'm assuming at some point you, you start growing out the team, right? How does it now... What was that experience like starting to build the company, right? You, you've kind of proven it. You're paying yourselves, which must have been great. You're working on it full time. Now you have to start building a team. Yes. What was that like? And then what was the kind of evolution of the company from there? Yeah. I mean, you know, if, if there's one thing I, I could fault us for in the early days, it was probably being a little too cautious about making investments in team because because um, the, do you I mean, mean not that, hiring quick enough or? Yeah, yeah. or, or be, because ultimately when you hire somebody at that stage, what you're saying is if I pay you to do this, it's actually going to end up netting me more money than if I don't. Right. I mean, it, and, and ultimately, if you reach a point where you're like, I can save money by not hiring a person to do this because I can just kind of stretch myself a little bit thinner. Eventually, you're a fool. <laughs> right. Like eventually you're stepping over a dollar to get to a dime, right? Because mm -hmm. eventually you're just, you're basically, that, that's that's how you don't grow a company, right? right? When when you pass on good investments, you you are not growing a company. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you say, I'll save money by not doing this thing that's gonna make me more money than it's gonna cost me, that's called not growing your company. Right. right? Um, and, and that's not what we did, but we probably were a little, but inherently there's always some risk. Like if I hire this person, it seems like I'm going to make more money, but maybe not. But what's for sure is I'm going to pay him, mm -hmm. right? Like, I know the cost is there. I think the payoff is going to be greater than the cost, but I don't know that. And right. I think that's why sometimes people go like, well, it's probably best if I just don't, right? So you can be more cautious or you can be more aggressive when it comes to that decision. And it, if anything, we were slightly too cautious maybe in, in the, the first few years after we, after we got off the ground. Um, but, but we did, I mean, you know, with, having said that, I mean, we started to go like, okay, if we had another person, we've got a formula that a person can plug into and get results. And so it was this process of successively going like, okay, well, let's add people, you know, in this way and, and then we'll see if they unlock results and then we'll, we'll do more of it, that kind of thing. That was really fun. I mean, when we went from sort of like three of us to 30 over the course of the next maybe four or five years. That was actually really fun because it was a, uh, it was kind of like, it was kind of easy, you know. We had obviously found an opportunity that was valid, mm -hmm. and and we had a formula, and it was still early, you know, so early. Nobody nobody was thinking about these kinds of things, 
So if we put resources into it, it's instantly paid off. Um, and you know, did so you that, eventually go raise any money or, or was the company completely much bootstrapped? Later, much, much later, later, not until 2015 did, did we raise money. Wow. So, so we, we were at nearly $100 million in gross merchandise value sold when we raised money. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. We had a little bit of friends and family money because we needed to lease an office and you know, <laughs> a few things like that. But I mean, you know, it was it really wasn't all that much. Um, you know, I had a meeting once when we were raising money. I had a meeting with with a, a VC firm, and one of the one of the guys is like looking at our information. He's like got a puzzled look on his face, and he says, "I don't understand how you guys built a company this size with this amount of money." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, what what would you recommend then, Jim? Let's say someone is they have a they have a good idea. They're thinking about starting a tech company. Yeah. or they're very, very early on in a tech company, what would you advise them just kind of generally because it is so kind of like popular and in to go raise tech money? What's yeah. kind of like a, a piece of advice you would tell them on how to just think about or approach the possibility of, of raising money at an earlier stage in the company? I think that you have to ask whether you need to, right? If you're doing it, because it, there's no there's no other way forward. Like what you're doing can't be done unless you have some amount of money. Then it's a good idea. If you're doing it because, I, I mean, if if you're doing it because it seems like you need to, or it seems like this is just what's done, you probably shouldn't, right? I, I, there's there's so many ways to extend the capabilities of a small group of people without hiring or spending a ton of money now you know you can do so much of that ever coding anything you mm -hmm. can do so much in marketing you know with the help of outsiders who work for you know just commission or you know they work as a percentage of what you're doing there are a lot of ways to like you gotta i guess what i would say is you gotta see if you can break what you're doing you can break the machine and then if you if you break the machine then you maybe need money right Mm -hmm. um, or if, or if there are obvious good investments that you're not making because you don't have cash, you should raise money, right? Like if it's just like I know I can, I can do this thing and it'll unlock more growth, more money, etc. But I, I simply don't have the cash, so I'm having to, I'm having to miss out on good opportunities that I know are good opportunities because I simply don't have cash. That's a good reason to raise money, you know. Uh -huh. And if there's, you know, or if there's capital intense needs, right? Like if you're if you're going to go develop a biotech something, you know, and it's 20 years to revenue or 15 years to revenue or something, you're probably going to need probably going to need to raise money. That's the nature of the business. Right. But most of the things that I see and probably that you that you see, especially from solopreneurs, that is not the case, right? Like it it isn't necessarily super capital intensive. Uh -huh. Yeah, absolutely. There's so many tools now. So I'm actually going through this with a with a tech company of my own. And we've gotten pretty far in 11 months with all the no code tools that you can use yeah. online, the Zapiers, the I mean, we're still even using WordPress with a whole bunch of plugins. It's incredible. It's it's incredible. So I, I totally it was agree. a guy who uh, a guy who basically duplicated Twitter with no code. No, I didn't see that. Yeah, yeah, wow. it, it looks exactly like Twitter, and it does everything Twitter does. Huh. Um, it's called fake Twitter or something like that. Yeah. But you find it. But he did it, and the whole point of it was to to see if he could build 
you know, the, the same exact thing without coding, without any coding, which you did. I mean, now they even have, like, you can build mobile apps no code as, as well. Like, it's it's crazy. So anyways, make use of those tools, people. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Uh, and, and everything you can think of to avoid doing that short of working yourself to death or passing on good opportunities, do it. Because mm -hmm. if you do it, not only will you avoid, you know, giving away a big chunk of the company and control and whatever, but if you actually overcome those barriers, then the, when eventually you, you do want to go um, raise money, you're going to have so much more credibility and yeah. so much more leverage. And, and a much better valuation and, and Absolutely. all that stuff. All of that. All totally. of that. Awesome, Jim. So let's, uh, we, we need to cover, or I'd like to cover everything else that has come since gold star and i know that's a lot but let's try and cover as much as we can in the next 10 15 minutes in in terms of the other company you're working on now some of the mastermind stuff uh, yeah. tell us a little bit about that and how it came to be well i feel like the um you know the the elephant in the room if people are listening is you know i'm a guy who's in the business of selling tickets to events mm -hmm. right now exactly a lot of events happening so this is actually one of the most interesting stories in 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 the oops sorry no problem this is actually one of the most interesting stories in the in the whole journey is that you know we're going along about february march having a pretty good year actually and uh covid comes along and shuts the entire live in industry down just you know other industries have been affected you know travel and whatever but we have been shut down right mm -hmm. like this is not as I, as I said to my team, like our, our business doesn't exist at the moment. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's been, that's been an interesting challenge. And, and the way we responded to that is that we've built a thing called stellar, um, which is a total show management system for online events. Hmm. Um, we, we know a lot about how we know, we know we have all the relationships and we know a lot about how to help producers of shows be successful and reach an audience. So over the last three months, we've built this thing called stellar, um, it does, it gives you just about everything you need other than to produce the show, to put a show out there and, and sell tickets to it, make money from it, all the rest of that. So it's been, a, it's been a crazy sort of pivot. And, you know, we've realized we're at the beginning of a totally new form here, a totally new art, if you, if you want to think of it that way, of an online event. Mm -hmm. um, and by the way, I think one of the things that this opens up is, is the, the possibilities for solo live entertainment entrepreneurs are, are better than ever because of online events. You know? why, why do you say that? Well, because in the same way that we were just talking about all those no code tools, if you have a concept for a show and you've got sort of taste and you've got the ability to, to pull a show together, you can reach out to the artists, the, the technical people, the whatever. You don't have to have a giant venue, for example, right? You could do it mm. on a soundstage. You could do it with a whole bunch of integrated technologies put on a show, reach a worldwide audience, you know, the show starts at eight o'clock tonight, you know, 50,000 people watch it having paid 20 bucks each, they don't have to come to a venue in downtown LA or New York or wherever, right? So it just mm -hmm. opens up a, a, an opportunity that in a way was, was not there before, but it's there now. Uh, and I don't right. think that's gonna go away. I think, you know, this is gonna, this is gonna develop during, during COVID and then go on to be a very important continuing thing. And if someone, I, I've got a whole series of videos that, that you know, hope, hopefully you could share, but one of them is about what I call the wild card, which I think is a very solopreneur kind of idea, which is 
somebody can rethink what a live event might be in the online event format and make a fortune, I'm convinced, right? Mm -hmm. Just rethink what a live event could be. How does it change when you're not sitting in a seat looking up at a stage or something? You know, right. but it's still an event. It's still live. It's still a show. Could be participatory. Could be all kinds of things, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, so I'm excited to see what people come up with on, on that front. I really Absolutely. Am. So, yeah. Jim, why why the completely different company? Uh, there's probably a few reasons, yeah. but why not just under the Gold Star brand? You know, like yeah. a you know, subdomain or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's a good question, and we spent a lot of time thinking about it. But when it comes down to it. A brand means something, and a brand can't mean. And because of that, a brand can't mean everything, right? This is this is actually um, a, a really important thing for I think entrepreneurs to, to understand is that when you spend 18 years investing time and energy in a in a brand like Gold Star, it means a place for people to come and buy tickets to live entertainment, save money, get great service, all that stuff. Everything that it means, it means. It's kind of like, um, um, what was it? Okay, take lifesavers, right? What are, What is a lifesaver, Josh? What's a lifesaver? Candy. The candy? Yeah. Hard candy that comes in a round tubey thing that right. tastes like fruit. Yeah, different colors, right? Whatever. Yeah, rainbowy type colors. And kids, you know, generally lifesavers or something, a kid might go, yeah, I'll have a lifesaver, right? Life, about 20 or 30 years ago, Lifesavers made a gum and they called it Lifesavers gum. Mm -hmm. And what's probably going on in your head is the same thing that's going on in my head, which is Lifesavers ain't gum. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not gum, right? It's like, mm -hmm. it's not gum, right? You, What do you mean Lifesavers gum? And the logic is, well, people love Lifesavers. So, you know, let's make fruity whatever gum and leverage the lifesavers thing but at the same time or ran around the same time there was a new brand of, of gum that came out called bubblicious now bubblicious sounds like bubblegum mm -hmm. right like it's got a bubblegum nature to it that lifesavers simply doesn't have right so you know when we decided to, to create stellar it wasn't just because it well in part it's a different thing gold star is a marketplace for consumers and, and, and producers to meet. Stellar is a what we call a, a total show management system for mm. producers of online events, right? So it's 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 just a different focus, a whole different product. Um, you know, it does the streaming, high quality video, audio, you know, reliable, scalable, all that stuff, real ticketing. It, it does all, all the things that an event producer needs in order to produce and monetize a live event. It's a tool set oriented to the producer. Gold Star is a marketplace really oriented to the consumer. And, you know, let's face it. I mean, Gold Star, Gold Star also is a brand that was born in 2002, right? We're mm -hmm. facing a moment now that's unlike any other. And Stellar is a brand that's born literally, you know, in, in recent weeks, right? So everything about Stellar feels like it was built and born during COVID. It's it's very you know the the name the look everything is very future facing, you know, um, it's looking forward into this um, new era of online events as an as an ascendant force. So I think it's really important you know when you when you think about like what is a product and what is a brand like you 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 you, you know the um, if I say Heinz what what's Heinz ketchup yeah 
And for a long time, Heinz had Heinz dominated pickles. Hmm. If if you asked an American in 1950 Heinz, they'd say pickles, and they went into ketchup and they kind of lost pickles, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think they still sell them, but now you probably think of Vlasic or something like that if you just have a generic pickle brand because they were they were trying to stretch the meaning of the brand over onto onto ketchup and it. it worked but it also backfired in that they lost they lost pickles so it's it's you know for us and and the thing about stellar that's important for people to understand is it isn't gold star it's it's a thing we built for this specific purpose right now got it yeah no that's that's a great answer i think there's reasons to create spin-offs and there's reasons not to and you definitely had enough reasons to uh to to create that new brand so what would you say jim to people who I mean, it's it's very tough times, right? Obviously, more so depending on your industry, less so for some other, you know, the, the Zooms of the world are doing just fine. But right. what would you recommend to the solopreneurs out there or maybe even the people who lost their nine to fives or are not happy in their nine to five right now yeah. and, and are looking to make the jump because the times like these can be very, very opportunistic. You mentioned one of the reasons why, you know, uh, the, the new potential for online events and stuff like that. Do you have maybe two or three pieces of a, a general kind of business advice yeah. uh, for what people can do, you know, want to be entrepreneurs or solopreneurs given yeah. the circumstances? You know, I, I when we started Gold Star in 2000, and we were starting in 2001, which was post 9-11 and in the pretty serious recession. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of sort of friends, a similar kind of career stage or maybe even a little later who said, you know, I'm just going to take a job at a safe company, at a company that's safe and kind of ride this out. And we didn't do that. Like we started, we started a company and tried to sell, you know, development services. Right. Um, And a lot, a lot in, in retrospect, like, oh, you took a safe job at Earthlink. Where was that again? <laughs> you know, I just, I noticed you didn't even react at all when I said Earthlink. Did <laughs> you like what Earth what Earthlink at the time was a major uh, ISP, right? Like it felt like this. You know, you're you're you you you've landed on the rock of Gibraltar, but it isn't <laughs> the case, right? Like the the disruption of those times and the times we're in now are more disruptive than any we've faced in a long time. Can rock anything seemingly stable to its foundation, um, and so. Uh, I guess, you know, if you look at when companies are formed, a lot of the best companies are formed during recessions or other forms of disruption. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's like, you know, it's like the, the it's sort of like uh, every, it's a jump ball. It's a jump ball moment. A lot of things are suddenly a jump ball, right? The, mm-hmm. the, the settled order of things is shaken up. And I think the first piece of advice I would get give is um, think about what we're moving toward, you know, we're moving toward something. And it's not, it's not just where we are today. It's what are we moving toward? You know, we're, we're not always going to be doing exactly what we're doing today in response to this. What's it going to be like in six months or a year? If you, if you play this scenario out and people, you know, are saying things that are probably a little overheated, like no one's going to go to the office ever again. Like, I don't think that's true, mm-hmm. but there's something about that. That's true, right? There's some, yeah. there's some change coming from that. So I think you have to think about what are we moving toward and not take for granted that things are going to be the way either they are or they were, right? So um, the second thing is think about where you can create value. I mean, there's there's new needs. 
being opened up. And you have to kind of really think about like, who can I help? Who can I help? Because if there's a, and, and how do I, and so if you think about that, and then maybe lastly, think about how can I start with the bare, bare, bare minimum risk and, and maybe not effort, but bare minimum risk in terms of um, money or going down one path, right? Like I think one of the worst things someone could do is make a huge uneducated commitment to this is the solution that I'm putting out there because you don't have to, right? You can go a, a little ways and see like, does this make sense at all, right? Like, mm -hmm. is there a positive response to that first move? And if so, okay, maybe you're onto something and you go, you go harder down, down that path, you know? So I think, right. I think it's, a, it's that idea of like, look, think about where we're going, think about where there's new needs that maybe you can help. And then how do you actually start in the smallest possible way, right? Like, you know, and for goodness sake, like, if you can set a goal of like, I want to make a dollar doing this thing, like, or whatever the smallest sort of, you know, minimum thing, say a dollar, right? Just make any amount of money mm -hmm. doing this thing. That's a pretty good goal, right? Because yeah. if you can get there, then you have a, suddenly you're, you're at an elevated vantage point where you can kind of look out over the landscape and say, okay, there is a lot of opportunity here, or there's not really a lot of opportunity here, but we'll have to change. So yeah. I, I think, you know, it is a, it is a very difficult time. And unlike some people who think, oh, it's great. It's, it's, it's just you know, crisis tunity. You know, it, it's, um, don't forget that it's, you know, a crisis too, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, you, you know, it's not like downhill sledding, but if you, if you, if you think about value creation in a future forward way, and you actually figure out how to get started on it, you might hit on a formula faster than you think that actually produces something. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that, those are great suggestions that I will take to heart as well. Jim, one last question for you. you you've been an entrepreneur, solopreneur for, for a long time now, probably have worked with many, talked with many. What do you think is one really, really, maybe the most important attribute to a successful entrepreneur? Yeah, I, I, I think it's a, it's a great question. Um, and I think the good news is that this is available to anyone. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer that a, it's, you're not born to be an entrepreneur. Like, you know, the people are like, I sold lemonade when I was three years old. You know, mm -hmm. I, I don't think that's really, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, not at all. But I don't really think it's about that. You know, like, mm -hmm. you know, it's not, it's not a question of your nature. Um, the, the people that I've known who are good entrepreneurs are, um, they find a way when there's no apparent way, right? Th this is the whole thing. Like if you, you're, you're standing on the edge of a, of a dark, dense forest and there's no path in or through, you know, if there's a path in and through anyone could walk it, even if it's a treacherous path, right? Mm -hmm. Anyone can walk it. The entrepreneur is somebody who goes like, oh, there's no way here. So I guess I'm going to have to find one, you know, mm -hmm. and then they it's that sort of curiosity about what's going on. And just like, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I know I'm going to do it. You know, like I'm right. just you know, it, that quality has a lot to do with um, how readily do I accept the consolation prize of people going, yeah, you did the best you could, you know, mm -hmm. like, can are they comfortable with a socially acceptable? Yeah, you, you really gave it a good effort and it just didn't work out for this reason or that reason. Like if that makes you feel better, 
you might not be ready to be an entrepreneur right. because if you're really ready to be an entrepreneur, it doesn't matter because well, you want to succeed, right? The, the, the external rewards of su the success itself are the thing that fuel you, right? Like we were talking about every increment of tickets that we sold. It was the best thing in the world, right? Like we sold 200, we sold 500. And these would be small numbers by, by today's standards, but like, oh my God, it just, it, it was validating because it was reality t telling us we were on the right track. You know what I mean? If if someone is is sort of addicted to that and doesn't care about people saying, well, you did the best you could, Josh, you know, you were, it was a tough environment out there. So no surprise. And then you're like, yeah, I guess you're right. Like that shouldn't give you any comfort at all if you're ready to, to really be an entrepreneur. Um, For sure. So I think it's that, you know, people who are just determined to find a path when there's no apparent path. Those are the people that tend to succeed. So you kind of just, I don't know how you, get to that moment. I really don't, you know, but it, you're either at that moment or you're not, you know, right. and just because you're not right now doesn't mean you won't be in the future. Right. That's a that's a great note to end on, Jim, and, and a great answer. Uh, thanks so much for coming on the show, sharing, uh, sharing the story and, and the insight. Jim, where do you want, you know, where can people find you, whether it's personal, business, whatever, whatever you prefer? Uh, well, I'm on Twitter at like. Gold Star Jim. So that's that's easy. Um, and I, right now, what I what I want people who are in the either in the live entertainment business or who are thinking about creating, you know, online, I think these these solopreneur live entertainment entrepreneur types, or if you're already in the live entertainment business and you know that there's an opportunity you need to tap into, go to StellarTickets.com. Um, I would also say if you're interested in the idea of online events, I have a playlist that we created, uh, nine nine short videos that explore a different aspect of online events and our thinking on it. it doesn't even really advertise stellar it just talks about online events as a concept it's like 30 minutes all together and I, I think it's a pretty good primer on why this is such a big opportunity so maybe we can share that too absolutely yeah i'll, I'll put all the links to all those in the uh, description wherever anybody is watching or listening to this jim thanks again for coming on the show really appreciate it my pleasure thank you josh Hey everyone, Josh here checking in just one last time to say thanks so much for listening to the podcast. I hope you got a ton of value out of it. I also wanted to say if you want even more of this business insight and motivation right to your inbox Monday through Friday, make sure to sign up for the Solopreneur Grind email list. What I did was I started a list to give solopreneurs a super quick email every Monday through Friday into your inbox. That's all it is, one quick quote to motivate you and help you get through the day because I know how tiring and long and difficult and stressful some of those solopreneur grinds can be. So if you're interested, sign up at the link in the description or solopreneurgrind.com and I hope to have you on the list. Thanks again. Take care.